If you would, uh, let's be standing as we read God's Word together. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. May God bless the reading of His Word. Well, good morning. Thank you. Uh, we uh, talked about what weeks we wanted to preach and things like that, and we kind of grappled with different weeks and took our pick. And I, then I realized I chose the week uh, where we spring forward, and it made me really, really nervous. Not that y'all wouldn't be here, but that I wouldn't be here. <laughs> and I was really nervous. Like uh, Even this morning, I was, I was having to check and make sure I was at the right time. Uh, I want to start out with just, first of all, saying uh, thank you, church, for the ways that you supported my family and I in, uh, through all kinds of times, especially Talisha's neck surgeries. The, the prayers, the support, the encouragement, the concern um, have been so good, and uh, we love this church very much. I just can't say enough how much we appreciate everybody. I want to start with a story. And I, I actually wanted to find a story that wasn't about me, but um, I couldn't think of a better illustration for what we're going to be talking about than some of my personal experiences. And if you could imagine, uh, just try to imagine what this must have been like for me at some really formative times in my life. From about, well, the formative years, uh, they're all kind of formative, I guess, but about the age of 12 and, and up, middle school, even up into high school, just the progress of a, a person, of a young man. I grew up way out in the middle of nowhere and went to school and uh, drove in and discovered that a lot of my friends were busy on Saturdays. They could never do anything anymore. They were always busy. And there was this specific house where we would go, where we all hung out and we'd get together. And um, I found out that a lot of my friends are working for this family they have money now, they don't have time, and they're kind of in. They're involved in this, it's like this unknown, you know, but anybody who's anybody goes and they work and they have money. Well, I didn't have the money. I had plenty of time on Saturdays, and I just really wanted in. Well, some of these friends said, you know what, you should talk to them, and maybe they'll let you work too. So if you could imagine never really having a, a true job, what it must have been like to go and be a part of that, to get paid, to get to learn how to use money. I learned so much, and it was through this family, and uh, the head of the family was a guy named Mark, and he was an electrician, 
but he built rent houses. So on his property, about a half mile up the county road, we would go and meet at his place, and the crew would go and work. So there were different ages of people, you know, there were a little more trusted people and skilled people, even some college students, and then like four or five middle school, junior high kids. We had to look like goobers out there trying to figure out what work to do. Um, we kind of had the, uh, the privilege of, you know, go get your gloves, and we'd go dig through this pile of gloves, you know, who knows if we came out with two left gloves or whatever, and shovels that are taller than us, and, you know, we'd drag them along, and, but hey, we're working, and learn so much about hard work. When you get into this, you think, of course I want in. I want to make money. I want to work. Maybe I'll learn something. But when you get there, you quickly remember, or you find out that uh, I didn't know it was going to be cold, or I didn't, I didn't know we were going to burn up today. And after about two hours, you really start to think, do I really want to do this? And you kind of look back and you think, I would be sitting at home with nothing to do but no money. So no, I don't want to go back to that. But do I really want to do this? And Mark would tell us, get your gloves, go clean out the ditch, you know. And he'd say, do it again, that's not good enough. Do it again. I mean, it was just like, what do you want from us? You know, you want us to do things your way? And so we, <laughs> we had to learn what it meant to work. Now, since that was also a place where we went socially, he had a, a pool at his house, he had a basketball court at his house, and we just would work and think, I would love to take a break right now and just go play. So we learned how to discipline our minds away from what we thought we want to do to work. I got to, uh, we, we all sort of fought over who got the privileges, and you know, it was not far from his house, and he had an old pickup that he would say, take the pickup, go back down to the house and get whatever, whether it was lunch or who knows what. But we got to drive. And that's why I'm not saying his full name or anything like that, because he let us drive. <laughs> but uh, we, we got to drive. We got to learn how to use tools. We got to learn about all this stuff around us that we didn't really even know we were learning. I got to learn how to drive a backhoe and a front-end loader, not when I was 12, but a little bit older. But I got to learn all this stuff. And you came on board, and then uh, you'd work hard. He'd tell you how to do it. Then it'd come time to be paid. You even learned how to get paid. And you would have to face this employer, and he would ask, do you really deserve this money? And you knew he was kidding, but you, you didn't have the money yet, and he'd pay you one dollar bill at a time. And you're like, Mark, come on. And he's done this to four people ahead of you. And they're all gone. They're like running away with their money. So uh, there was so much to learn. But with that came this sense of responsibility of, you know, he let me do this. He entrusted me with the keys or I'm working on a house that it's not just for nothing. There's a goal here. And how we got along and how we worked or, or joked around were sort of, it sort of reflected how much we appreciated him. To take that a step further, uh, many of you know that uh, I came to live with this family in high school when I was 14. So I went from being sort of an employee that worked on Saturdays whenever we could, that kind of did it his way, but there wasn't much responsibility to, I was able to live with that family, become a part of that family. 
So I learned even more that, hey, this isn't just a job. This is the family life, and they all work. They all are expected to do this. And where the family is, that's where I'm going to be. Learned about how they did supper, how they did holidays, all of that. And with all of it came this uh, need to know in my head how to respond. And I don't remember sitting down and having this list of rules, like the Ten Commandments or something like that, like you will do this, you will not do this. You know, We had an understanding. But even at that young age, I realized how much I appreciated it, how many needs that it met, and that there was a proper and improper way to respond. And a lot of it was, what kind of presence was I in that home? What kind of presence was I at work? And there were days where you inherited the work part because you lived in the house. And how many days I wanted out, didn't want to do it. But guess what? He's kind of like dad now. And um, how much more comes along with that? There's a lot more that I could say. I'm uh, not going to spend too much time on that. But I want you to think about responding to God. One of the greatest things that I think Tommy has given this church is the reminder or the understanding that all the things that we do are a response to what God has done. It's not to earn it. It's not to justify ourselves. But I remember him repeatedly conveying that truth that our lives are responses to God. And by the way... um, When you go through and prepare for a sermon, you appreciate what Tommy has done week in and week out. And how many weeks have gotten turned upside down scheduling-wise, and he still delivered a wonderful, concise point and brought Scripture to us. The things that he said, the things that he couldn't say that were in the text that he just had to leave behind. Even during worship, if you go through this about to speak, it's really hard to get into totally. And that last song we sung kind of just sets you into this, this wonderful place. And then you realize, ah, oh, just, oh, I'm so relaxed, but I have to get up and speak. I just want us to appreciate uh, what comes along with, with this job on a full-time basis. So, responding to God. I want to ask you, um, well, I hope you're already thinking about what is my response to God. This is kind of a, um, an easy one. If you're not already thinking that, then you're behind. You should already be thinking, wow, God has done this. this. This would be a response. But that is what I want to talk about today. In the book of Romans 1 through 11, Paul has talked about who God is, who we are, and masterfully, I mean, it's meaty who God is and what God has done. And you get to chapter 12, and it's this wonderful turn to what's sort of expected of us. He says in verse 1 and 2, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that is what he says about responding to God. Offer yourselves. Um, now, okay, that is easy. We get that. We understand it. But the problem that I've had as a Christian is how do you do that? how. And as a Christian growing up, I don't know how many times I have read and loved and repeated verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. 
and never made the connections of what follows. And always wondered, well, how do you really offer yourself to God? The passage that we read earlier um, centers on verses 9 through 13. And I don't know where you're at or how you are able to respond to God today. Within that paragraph, verse 11 says, Don't be lacking in zeal. I think we have it up there. Uh, Don't be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The imagery there is literally like bubbling over spiritually. Almost uncontained, but uh, that made them a little nervous, so they have that part in there about serving the Lord. Like, channel it into the Lord's service. Don't just let it have free reign. But there's that, that image of just that response to God and that zeal that comes. And you probably know Christians like this. You may be one of these who, and it's probably been talked about today, all the things God has done lead us to respond that way. And one thing that's meant a lot to me in that verse is that where it says never be lacking in zeal, zeal is sort of this readiness to act. Kind of like this, this passionate response. But the word actually is, is two phrases, and one of them is like, don't possess hesitation, but be eager. And a lot of times it's not that you don't have gifts or readiness or zeal, it's that you might possess doubt or hesitation or laziness is kind of the way that this means. And not in laziness, but in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor. What about the people who may be sitting here who you know the response to God that you should give? You know all that He's done, but you don't feel it. The person who, in that middle phrase of verse 12, patient in affliction, and you feel like your existence lately is totally just enduring suffering. Enduring affliction. And you read something like this and all the greatness about God and love and all of this, but you might have that tendency to respond with, okay, look, I have been patient. That's all I've been doing lately. And you know the hope you should have, but you don't feel the hope you have. And you would love to pray all the time, but what else do you pray? Those are two different places where I think we might respond, verses 11 and 12, and just a side note on verse 12. We're without a preacher right now. This church could sort of see that as a time of uh, a void in leadership or voice affliction, if you will, or suffering or doubt. And what I hope we have is that we have a faithfulness in prayer to go into this process, that we can endure the unsettledness and that hope is pulling us forward. Not like, I hope we get a good one, but hope. God has got this. Johnson Street will remain great. I hope we have that. And to me, oh, there's so much there. We've been looking at it all semester just in Romans 12. But if you back out a little bit, this really isn't individual at all. And if you read Romans 12, 1 and 2, in chapter uh, in verses 9 through 13, like I have, I always thought of it as an individual response. That this is what I do because of what God has done for me. When we lean back into verses 3 through 8, it starts to talk about things like the body is one made up of many parts. 
And we know that set of scriptures, but have we ever thought of that in terms of being one is your offering to God? Being together is not just our nature, it's our very offering to God. It's like a family. Being related isn't just the fact, but how you interact is the blessing to your parents. So as we look at this, I used to love verses 1 and 2, but it was all an individual reading. And we may not even like where it goes because it kind of makes that offering dependent on each other. And that's what you have to be careful with when you go and study a text is it might say something you don't want it to say. Not that I don't want it to say that, but it was just easier the way I knew it. So as we think about this uh, being a communal effort, uh, Jake and I were talking about the wordage here in verses 1 and 2 where it says, offer your bodies. It's not you offer your body. It's y'all. Offer your bodies as a single sacrifice. What we've been talking about so far is that individual, I'm going to offer my body, I'm going to offer my life to God. It's between he and I. But what Romans 12 is saying is you all offer yourselves, offer yourselves as this church as an offering to God. It's a little tougher than the individual part. But uh, we have a word for it, and it's y'all. And uh, Jake was, we were laughing about that, that, you know, you don't have this word in many other places, but Texas has a word for it. (laughs) So um, he's going to go into that passage in verses 3 through 8 and talk about not just our oneness, but about our gifts, how we use our gifts. Our gifts are not just for ourselves. They're for one another. Now, um, when I think back to my time at Mark's house and his family at work, so little of it was about me. So much of it was about how I contributed to the whole and how I affected everyone else. So I want us to see this, that so little about this is individual. And so much of it about our offering to God is about us. I think this is harder than it sounds. Because we know, okay, there's one body made up of many parts. Christ is the head. Got it. But it's tougher to do than we might think. In 1 Corinthians, which is kind of an interesting thing to me, that if you look at the passages in Romans, uh, chapters 12, 13, 14, and on, have a very similar pattern to 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, 14. You talk about one body, many parts. goes right into talking about spiritual gifts for the edification of one another. And right as you start talking about people getting together, it, it spells out love. You've got to have a serious kind of love because it, it's going to be messy. And this is how a group loves one another. You start to see these themes both in, in those chapters and here. But sometimes I think we stop short and we practice verses 3 through 8 and 9 through 13 like this. The body is one. It's made up of many parts. Johnson Street is one. It's made up of many parts. We're so diverse. But look at us. There's a smiling face on there and a wave. 
And if you've seen Toy Story, this is actually, in, this doesn't help because that guy actually moves and does stuff. But a real Mr. Potato Head doesn't move, doesn't do stuff, it isn't living. And when we practice uh, being the body of Christ, if it's like this, it's incomplete. It's insufficient. Because what body functions like that? Where the ear is really completely separate, the eyes are completely separate. It looks together, but it's not. A couple of weeks ago, maybe even months, Michael O'Brien was leading communion thoughts and talked about us being one body, and I don't know why I've never made this connection before. But I have always pictured being one body a lot like that until he said something about the blood of Christ reaching us all, moving through us all, the Spirit moving through us all. In a real body, the blood circulates through everyone. Christ's Spirit circulates through us all. His vision, His love, all of that moves through us all. And what does blood do? It purifies, it brings oxygen, and all of that. And I realized it seems like a graphic part of the metaphor, but I had been viewing the one body like this where it's completely separate. And that's tough. So what does that look like for us? You have to know each other to really get to that level of love that he's going to talk about there, about being devoted and hospitable, and then in 1 Corinthians. You have to know each other, you have to show it, you have to be together, more than just being affiliated. And it's more than an understanding because when I lived with Mark, it wasn't enough to just say at school, I work for Mark. Or to say at home, I live here. This is my room. I had to live there and live with people and be a part. That's the first offering that I see in Romans 12 is that we have a collective offering. But that's not it. It's one thing to unify a group around uh, a common purpose. So like if we were a team, it's one thing for me to get the team motivated to be one to accomplish things for our good, like say a, a championship or something like that. We might do that if it's for our benefit. And I've thought about uh, people groups and people moving as one. I mean, when we had the drought I saw San Angelo and Christianity unified in prayer like I hadn't seen them before. When you have a whole industry, like the oil and gas, you start to see people draw together a lot more. But when you have a team that is pulling for its own cause, that's pretty impressive. Do you know how rare it is for a team to pull together for a cause of someone else? Paul is going to say here, as we move forward into this next part, Um, if we can get the next slide, he shifts from verses 9 through 13 talking about what it's like among us to how to live in society. And he's going to say things like, respond to evil with good. Uh, Don't resist the government. Live at peace. Uh, All these great things, but I don't think it was just for their well-being and their protection. It was for the reputation of God. The other offering that I'm talking about here is that we give God an offering 
of the awareness of other people. Here's what I mean. If you look at that, you'll see the theme. And I'm going to remind you of 1 Corinthians. You remember when he's talking about communion? And he, he says kind of a negative thing here. He says, your meetings are doing more harm than they are good. When you get together for communion, you're damaging one another. Communion is done so wrong, it's having a bad effect. Built into those chapters, there's this idea that what you do together has an effect on others. And later, I think it's in chapter 14, after he spoke about the spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. You remember this? He says, look, if some unbeliever or outsider comes into your midst, and you're kind of going crazy here, they're going to think something about you. Do you remember what it is? They're going to think on Sunday morning you're drunk or whenever they met. That it has an effect on outsiders. How you exercise your gifts, how you love one another, how you do this whole collective offering to God has an effect on the world around them. Paul is going to say in the chapter, chapter 15 of Romans, listen to this. He mentions that they're full of goodness and knowledge and all of this, that they can teach themselves. But he always talks about his vision. So chapter 15, verse 15. I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become, what? An offering acceptable. So, Paul thought that not only is the offering that we give to him happening right here on how we interact, but it's also the others that we will include. And this is really a part of my vision for church at all because I wouldn't be standing here if Mark had not been aware of the people around him. And by taking me to church, them being aware of the impact they had on me. So as much as I love what the church can do, I will never forget the people that are watching, that are waiting to be included, that are waiting. Uh, The part in 1 Corinthians where it talked about them thinking they're drunk, you know what else they might think? If they get a great picture of what we do, it'll lead to repentance and knowing that God is God just by what they see in us. You want to talk about an evangelism tool? Be a magnetic church. Be a light. And most of your work is already done. But to, to do it with only words and not what people see here, you're going to fight an uphill battle. What I hope that we realize is if, if someone were to ask, how do you respond to God? All that He's done, how do you respond? I hope our answer is, well, we respond by how we love each other, how we talk to each other, how we serve one another, how we don't talk to each other. We also respond and we offer up to God this awareness of the people around us. And I I just got to say this. Do you ever notice when we get out of church, there's a softball game or a soccer game? Or if, if you look at my world, which is obviously campus, I'm seeing all the things around us, and I wonder sometimes, 
do we notice? If, if I go out of here to my car and I don't notice the other stuff going on, I hope we do. And I, I think in a lot of ways, we're doing so good. But to me, when I read Romans, it's one of those things where it may not say what I thought it said. It may say, here are the two most basic ways you give God an offering. And there you go. I'm challenged by it. Uh, I hope you are too. And I want to offer an invitation that um, maybe this goes back to the individual part. You need to be included. You need to find that healing. Um, you need prayer. Whatever you need. Uh, if, you, if you have that need, you can come as we stand and sing. Thank you.